0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lones. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeGioia, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's all about the Smiths, Todd Smith of DHL Funny Car Fame and Matt Smith of Pro Stock Bike. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. Two Gator Nationals winners. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Balacek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher! Wow! What an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike, an instant classic final round. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans, and we are back with yet another episode here of The Insider. We're going to talk to two guys with the last name of Smith, they are not related. Todd Smith, who is the co-crew chief of the DHL Toyota Camry, along with John Oberhoff. We're going to talk to Todd about their Gator National success. We heard from JR last week, and I think it's always interesting to get a little back-to-back perspective, so to speak, from the driver's perspective and then now the crew chief's perspective, what went right over the course of the weekend, what is going right for that team, off to a great start this year. and already uh, really kind of setting themselves up to be in the conversation as we go down the road as a team capable of winning the world championship, of course, which they have done before. Matt Smith, the winner of the Gator Nationals and Pro Stock Motorcycle, put on an incredible performance and a performance that I needed to double check myself on at the end of the broadcast, but uh, I was accurate in my statement that it was the first time anybody has ever run four 200 mile an hour passes in eliminations at a national event. And the reason I had to double check that was because we all remember Matt Smith winning the 2018 Pro Stock World Championship, Pro Stock Motorcycle World Championship at the finals in Pomona, where he racked up all those 200 mile an hour runs. But there's a catch. He qualified at 201. He made three consecutive runs, the second, third, and final round over 200 miles an hour. But in the first round, he shut off his motorcycle early and only went 111. So this is officially the first time we've seen anybody run the table going 200 plus rounds one, two, three, and 4. We're going to talk to Matt about that and what he thinks it will take to back up his 2020 World Championship in Pro Stock Motorcycle. We you know, the Gator Nationals uh, may have marked the beginning of the national event season of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. We know that the divisional uh, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series and regional series got going a few weeks before that, you know, the races in Orlando and at No Problem Raceway in Rose, Louisiana, um, and now we can say that it's expanded across the country. Division 7 had a massive event last weekend at Las Vegas. It was a great success, a rousing success, on the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Tour, uh, Jackie Frick from the East Coast took a win in the top alcohol dragster category. And, you know, we can really say without, uh, you know, unequivocally now that the sport is definitely back and rolling. You had the big super stock stock uh, Southern Sportsman Showdown happen at South Georgia Motorsports Park last weekend. You have coming up this weekend uh, big dollar bracket races in Las Vegas and all kinds of stuff going on across the country. And, of course, we're getting a lot closer to our Las Vegas national event, the four wide nationals, which will be coming up the weekend of April 15 or rather 16, 17, 18 out there at the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, other news that has broken over the course of this week, Dodge has stepped up to become the sponsor of the U.S. nationals. They're going to continue their sponsorship of the Mile High Nationals with the SRT brand as well. And you're going to see some of the um, the other Dodge branding on other events, including Reading, Pennsylvania, and others. So that's great news. Um, we're hearing about other things happening within the sport of drag racing that are certainly positive. And certainly we're talking about things like allowed crowd sizes. Uh, Charlotte has announced that the four wide nationals happening at ZMAX Dragway. Uh, those That race will be held with with fans in the stands, obviously, with a crowd. The state of North Carolina uh, is currently, um, let's say, reopening like most of the states are right now. They have a crowd limitation at the moment. But by the time we get there in the month of May, kind of mid to late May, that current crowd limitation, which is, I believe, 30 to 40 percent, will be expanded from that point forward. So um, forward momentum, of course, across the board. The same can be said for Las Vegas right now. There has been no official announcement as to what the crowd size allowance will be. Um, But again, we have several weeks to get there. So assuming things continue on the kind of positive trend that we are seeing right now across the country in terms of states uh, being more active with what they're allowing for uh, open air entertainment venues, amusement parks, all that kind of stuff. um, It's going in the right direction. A lot of people have been getting their vaccinations and that type of things helping as well. So. Uh, Definitely rounding the bend, it seems, in more ways than one. It felt great to get the Gator Nationals done. It certainly felt great to get it done with fans in the stands. And we're really going to start turning our attention to Las Vegas now. And when we turn our attention to Las Vegas, um, we need to really talk about uh, the DHL team because this is a team that has done very well uh, in the four-wide format. They've done very well uh, in Las Vegas over the course of time. And that's one of the things I want to talk to Todd Smith about is what makes a car, what makes a team, what makes a crew chief or a pair of crew chiefs succeed, um, not inordinately, but with consistency at certain racetracks and in certain conditions. And I think when we look at, the performance that the DHL Camry had at the Gator Nationals, we saw a car that was certainly going down the racetrack in warm conditions, uh, conditions that obviously this is a spring-summer type of sport. We get those sometimes wacky air days in the early spring, if you will, uh, certainly in the late fall where teams can really throw the hammers down. But there are going to be a lot of weekends of sweltering heat, as there always are over the course of the summer. And when you look at the 2021 Camping World Drag Racing Series schedule, um, it is very heavily weighed in June and July and August, of course, in September. Those those meat-of-the-order months will be warm no matter where we are. If we're talking about you know, Epping, New Hampshire, we're talking about Norwalk, Ohio, talking about places like Sonoma, California, um, Topeka, Kansas in August, I can guarantee you will not be 58 degrees at night. I can tell you that. Uh, I'm not a weatherman. I'm not the smartest man in the world. Uh, maybe a little bit smarter than Forrest Gump. But um, uh, Topeka in August is going to be a scorcher. And I want to talk to Todd about how his team is set up to deal with those conditions. And a lot of I want to talk to Todd a little bit about the I want to say like kind of the coaching element of being a crew chief, and certainly when you're getting a season started, you can drill, you can practice, you can you can test, which obviously all these teams did. But when it comes down to turning that car around and making it go down the racetrack four times on a Sunday. The first weekend of the year, um, I want to talk to him about what it means to be able to do it right out of the gate, kind of what it says about his team and what it sets them up to do going down the road. In any sport, you know, success kind of uh, success begets success, right? It's it's you, you start to win and you keep winning to some degree. Uh, and in drag racing, it can come and go a little bit. But we see consistency through the years and through a season with teams that are well organized. And those teams that come off the starting blocks well do have an advantage. I firmly believe that. If you only made one run on Sunday in Gainesville, you're way behind a team that made four. Doesn't matter uh, in, in in any and all respects, especially if we're talking about a team with some new members, a team that is going through some new procedures, maybe using new parts. The more runs you make, the better off you are. It's some of the simplest math in drag racing, a sport that can be deceptively simple in some respects, but certainly uh, very, very complicated and complex in others. So, as we look across the NHRA Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series schedule, making sure, make sure you are following along on NHRA.com to see where and when you can watch divisional action live and free on NHRA.tv, an initiative that will be going on throughout the entire season and beyond. Um, a lot of technical resources has been, have been poured into this. A guy named Rob Hedrick, who uh, if any of you watch our NHRA.com videos and, and other Skypes and things that we do, Robs the technical genius behind making all that stuff work, and he has thrown the uh, full weight of his mental abilities into making this NHRA.tv TV experience great for you. Throughout the course of the year, we had a great broadcast at the Gator Nationals and at the Baby Gators. Had a great broadcast last weekend from the Division Seven Div- um, Regional event in Las Vegas, where Alan Reinhardt was calling the action with Nate Hershey and and the uh, the gang out there. So. A lot of great positive things going on if you're an NHRA fan. A lot of ways to interact and watch the sport now that you did not have even coming into this season. So if you love Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series competition, make sure you're following on NHRA.tv for free. Make sure you're following on NHRA.com to understand where and when those events will be broadcast. So, without further ado, let's welcome our first guest. He is one of two guys responsible for getting the DHL Toyota Camry down the racetrack as quickly as possible and into the winner's circle, Mr. Todd Smith. Todd, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Brian. Just uh, happy to be here. You bet. And I'll tell you what, before we get into the Gainesville weekend, uh, we're coming up on about a year since you had a a really rough go-around with uh, the whole COVID-19 thing. This is the first win you've gotten since you've come back, so it's got to sweeten the pot even a little bit more, right?
1: yeah definitely uh yeah for me personally it was it was a great victory you know not just for the team but because of everything that uh my wife and i have been through in the last year you know with covid and and uh the health scare and all that kind of stuff so it, it was it was re- real a little bit of uh redemption on um you know, kind of making my way back from my deathbed and and getting that victory for our team. So felt pretty good.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think on some level it felt like that for a lot of us, uh, you know, certainly way more emotionally connected to you and your health, but in terms of all of us that just love the sport and are out there week in and week out, it's like Gainesville just felt like we were back where we needed to be.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree completely. You know, especially when we're on the starting line doing our thing and you look up in the stands and you see, see how many people are there. You know, and just things, things felt normal again, or close to normal again. It was, it was great to, to, to be able to go race and do our thing and be around your competitors and friends and, and, uh, Great to see that crowd down there. It was pretty awesome.
0: You know, it's going to be, and it always is, a long season. Although last year, last year was shorter than normal, but this is planned out to be a nice long season here for us in 2021. And you know, how important is it to get off the blocks well? Because obviously, we're going to have a couple dozen races this year, at least planned. So each one of these things is kind of is kind of incrementally small. But what does it mean to actually come out of the gate swinging like you guys did?
1: Well, it's really a big boost. It's a boost for the team for sure. Um, not only you know for the points obviously but emotionally it's like to get out the gate and get a win right off the bat it does set the tone like you're saying and it and it gives you a good boost and a good momentum um to get the season going you know it's it's certainly much easier to start off this way than to (laughs) then to have four or five bad races in a row at the beginning of the season then you got to crawl your way from the back so it's been it's been a nice shot Uh, in the arm for all
0: of us you know I think one of the one of the most unique and awesome things about uh, Coletta Motorsports the fact that um, you know part of a much larger organization as far as the the Coletta Air family if you will and the ability that Connie has had over the course of the uncertainty over the last you know year now of being able to keep crews intact by keeping them employed doing whatever needed to be done Um, let's talk a little bit about that value because you guys rolled into Gainesville um, at least by my estimation, looking out the window with the vast majority, if not all the same guys you had working on that car last year. And how important is that, you know, just coming in with a proven commodity in terms of a crew?
1: Well, it's huge. And any any crew chief uh, tuner will tell you that, you know, keeping keeping your same team together is really a big deal, you know. And, and the fact that that uh, our boss, you know, the greatest guy out here, he, he worked really hard, him and Chad, at maintaining – Uh, this group and keeping us together last year you know uh, a lot of our guys as you guys know and have reported on went and worked in the airlines you know to help help them because they were super busy you know during this during this whole thing with COVID so um, the fact that he has that mindset you know just it always reassures you that you're working for one of the best guys if not the best guy out here to keep that going because it pays off, especially when you come back after such a long break. Even this winter was long—four and a half months, you know—and then to have your same guys uh, back with you, it's a—it's a huge shot as well.
0: In any, you know, any team sport, whether we're talking about baseball, hockey, it really doesn't matter. You know, teams mature over the course of a season. You know, I'm a, I live in New England, so by default of that, I'm a New England Patriots fan. Blame me if you want, but that's just how it goes. Uh, you know, and Belichick always has these teams that that kind of come into their own around playoff time. And, you know, during the beginning of the year, there's always stuff, adjustments to work on, things to do. In your role as a leader and really as, as, a, as a coach of this team, what are the kind of things that at a first race of the season after this big, long layoff? What are the types of things that you may have to keep, not an extra eye on, but are there things that you know you maybe want to just concentrate a little bit more on in these first handful of races as opposed to the stuff that's going to be happening mid to late summer?
1: You know, uh, oddly enough, what what we work hard on here um, when there's long breaks like like this winter is just getting our team back in, in shape, like repetition shape, because, yeah. you know, everything we do between rounds is time, 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 down to the seconds, you know, and then trying to get it done correctly. So when you're in the shop for four months, like this winter, four and a half months, there's really not a lot of time to do that exact type of scenario where you're between rounds and, you know, and and, uh, and they're telling you, hey, we gotta have a 40 minute turnaround this time, not not a 50 minute turnaround. Those are the things that we work the hardest at, because there's, there's, you know, the 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 task and the job that these guys have. Uh, each segment of it is not incredibly rocket science, but there's just a large volume of it, and so you got to get them in these scenarios and let them practice and try to get used to that, because that's like eighty percent of the battle, man. It's just nowadays it's like getting your parts correct, putting them together properly and disassemble and and reassemble, you know, getting all that stuff right. Then it makes my job and John's job a lot easier when we come time to tune. So most of our focus, you know, obviously in the winter, we're, we're freshening our cars up and our parts and all that, but we try to really get our guys in shape. And that's why when we go preseason testing, we like to make a lot of runs. We've got to make a lot of runs, even if the car doesn't go past the Christmas tree, just get out there and let the guys get back in shape.
0: Yeah, get the service done and uh, and kind of get everybody, like you said, back in the routine. You know, one of the things that's been, I think, a hallmark of uh, of you and Jono working together and Jr. in the race car is a is a race car that is. Probably better than anybody on warm racetracks. And and we saw that in Gainesville. It was a beautiful weekend, but we did not come out of the we did not come out of the winter break like we do in Pomona when it's like, you know, usually like sixty-five degrees on Sunday and the tracks, what, eighty-five to ninety. I mean, this was a hundred and twenty-degree racetrack out there, and once again, you know, you guys really prove that you have a great combination for those style of conditions. And I'm wondering if is that how much of that is on the mechanical side of things? And how much is that on the philosophical side of, of you and John O when, when you're attacking a racetrack like that, how much of your success on warm racetracks comes down to the philosophy of how you set the car up versus the mechanical side of actually making it work?
1: It, it's probably 70% setup, you yeah. know, and, and 30% philosophy, you know, the philosophy for us probably comes from all the experience, you yeah. know, and all the mistakes you've made over year, <laughs> over the years and knowing what, what not to do. But the the 70% part of just how we set the car up, you know, when the tracks get like that for us and how we run our cars, we've got to make a lot of changes and you've got to be confident with those changes. And, and, and so luckily for us, that has paid off on hot tracks. So we just have to go in there and not be afraid to make those big changes that a lot of crew chiefs don't like to do. And say, hey, we're just, this is what we got to do. And we just have to do it and set our mind to it. And most of the time, it works out good for us on hot tracks.
0: Yeah, I mean, history is uh, history. Is certainly, a guide there, and uh, it's it, you know the math backs it all up. I mean, you guys have uh, have always run well in those conditions. When we look at the the final rounds you made last year; those were on you know typically warm weekends, and um, it's just an interesting thing for me to to see that. And when you watch enough of this stuff, as you have over the course of your career, you see some patterns develop, and that's one of the more intriguing ones. And you know. The, the drivers and Jr is a guy who doesn't who who tends not to take a ton of credit beyond what he's earned and it's a noble thing. But the driver pl- pays a uh, plays I should say a very large role on that hot track side of things too. i have to imagine because there is no margin for error as far as leaving the groove when the when the racetrack gets warm and you put half a tire out, it's typically doomsday for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, uh, Jr has really come into his own as a funny car driver, you know, and we. We had this confidence in the beginning. That's why he, he got this ride in this car. And, you know, once he got some experience under his belt, he just kept getting better, and he still continues to get better. The thing that John and I really love about JR, about so many things, but the one thing in the driving aspect is that he can rise to some pretty, some pretty serious situations. You know, when the pressure's high and the stakes are high, you know, he can get in there and do his thing and do it well and and uh you know and that that pays off in these situations like the final round yeah, you know yeah. um, just knowing that you know when the track is hot he knows it's hot he's sitting in that car with his fire suit on <laughs> you know he's listening to John and i talk between rounds and what's going on he's paying attention so you know he's just aware at any a hey, at any time just this, this could thing to just smoke the tires or do something really weird you just got to be on your a game and so he's, he's very That's observant right. of all that stuff and he's really good at putting it in play when he's on the racetrack because that's that's a hard situation, especially when it smokes the tires right at the starting line. You know, the, the hardest thing it is to do is let that car calm down because your foot just wants to go back to the floorboard <laughs> immediately, you know. But we've expressed to him and, and on our side of it, the mechanical side of it, hey, this is what needs to happen when it smokes the tires this early. And he's learned to get good at it, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and, and get back in the throttle and keep the car straight. And you know, get it to the finish line as quick as you can. and and we've had some pretty cool wins that way. and that was that was one out
0: of them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know for for the length of your career, you have been involved in, in so many different teams. you've you've done accomplished so much different stuff. you know when we look at a, a win like we saw in Gainesville, it definitely gets your team off on the right foot like we talked about before. but what is it that what is it that really kind of drives you? What is your favorite part of this job?
1: uh i love the tuning aspect of it and and being at the track you know those are the two things that drive me has always driven me And, and from the very beginning i you know this was a passion i had and i still love it just as much to this day you know i i like tuning these cars and i like being at the track and and going through those motions and doing all those things unfortunately the other ninety-five percent of our time is spent preparing for all that. So
2: <laughs>
1: it's a lot of work to get to do something you really like. But, but uh, in fairness to all the work we do, I enjoy that too. I like I like being around the teams during the week, and and I keep a close keep in close contact with my car, and and try to always keep my brain thinking and functioning, and you know, and um, understanding what's going on with day-to-day stuff. It, it just helps me try to be a problem solver. It also helps me be. Uh, more in tune with my car, so my tuning is better.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, it's um, it's it's one of the things that we've always struggled with in terms of telling the story and something that I, I know we're trying to get better at. But it's like. I think so many of our fans think that, you know, you guys you like crew chiefs, especially you guys just roll to the track Thursday, or Friday, go eat a dinner, you know, make a couple laps. And then you get on your fishing boat on Monday morning and then come back at the next race. And it's, it's such a difficult thing to try to tell people that this is like an all consuming thing. This is not something that just happens, you know, three days a week, 24 times a year. This is life.
1: Yes, definitely. It, and it's, and it's a tough life. You've got to love to do this. It takes so much commitment. You know, there's so many hours spent every week um, doing this stuff and, and being prepared. And it, it's it's not an easy lifestyle by any means, you know, with all the travel and the moving around and everything. It takes takes some serious commitment. And like you said, a lot of people don't get it. But, but uh, a lot of the work begins as soon as the race is over. You know, because now we got to go back and fix all this stuff and get ready for the next one. So the the funnest part of all of our jobs is going to the track that's the what we all enjoy the most but there is a ton of work between each race
0: you mentioned the next one and the next one is going to be in las vegas it will be a four wide race which we have not done that in over a year so that's gonna that's gonna have, yeah. have its own that's gonna have its own set of circumstances but give me a little bit of the uh the crew chief book on the track at las vegas give me a little bit of the things that uh that you pay most attention to when we go race in the desert
1: Um, you know, like initially when we first get there, John and I usually go walk the track. So we're trying to look at the condition of the track from the very beginning. And and typically Las Vegas is is prepared and groomed very well. It's maintained well while we're not there racing. And that has a a huge effect on NHRA's guys when they come and they have to do their initial prep for the first day. So that gives us a baseline in our minds what we need to, to do with the car right out of the gate. Um, we like it now since they repaved the whole thing, nice flat concrete, uh, haven't seen up to this point, really any differences from lane one to lane four, you know, uh, unfortunately we don't get to run lanes three and four that often, but in this type of situation, uh, it's nothing too concerning. You know, we get as many cars up and down all the lanes as possible, try to get rubber on them. Yes and then it's just go you know go do your thing and try to tune the best you can
0: yeah it's interesting man it's going to be um it's going to be fun it's you know listen it's always fun for us in the tv booth because we just get to sit there we're like paid spectators you guys actually have to go out there and, and do the work and certainly after a year of having no four wide races not that anybody's ever forgotten how to do this but you know there's going to be a couple things because there always is at these races in the early rounds that uh that get a little weird
1: yeah it can, it can get strange uh, for sure you know and and this year a little bit different format because we only have three qualifying sessions. So yeah. in our minds, all right, well, there's one of the lanes you're not going to get in. Yeah. You're not even going to get your car in it. And so, you know, that's going to play a factor in every crew chief's mind, you know, Hey, qualify as best you can, you know, so you have lane chase, lane choice on race day and, and, and each round on top of that. So, um, if it's, uh, if that's one thing that's, that could be slightly different this year, that might throw a little bit of a, a tailspin into some people. But we'll just all get out there and, and, and just be glad that we're racing again. We all are just, you know, hey, you know, we've got a three-day show now instead of a two-day. That's, that itself is, is what we all really want, things to get back to normal.
0: That's a fact. Todd, I appreciate you taking the time in. I know you guys are hustling to get ready. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks out there at the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And uh enjoy this win, I guess, until you're rolling to the gates and you gotta put the game face back on. And try to get the next one.
1: That's right. Absolutely. And I uh appreciate you having me on, Brian, and I will see you
0: in Vegas. Yes, sir. Thanks, Todd. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye great conversation there with Todd Smith of the DHL Toyota Camry team, and uh, they're going to try to keep up their winning ways in Las Vegas. Another guy who's going to try to keep up his winning ways in Las Vegas is Matt Smith, the Pro Stock Motorcycle World Champion, who is coming off a great win in Gainesville, a convincing and dominating win down there. We welcome him now onto the NHRA Insider Podcast. Matt Smith. How you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm doing good, Brian. How are you doing? Good. This one, uh this one had to have felt pretty good, man. After all the off season stuff that's been going on, new engines, new combinations, new riders, and yet the same guy holding the wally at the end of the day, that had to have felt uh pretty damn good.
2: Yeah, it felt pretty good. Uh, I don't know if we dominated the race, but we definitely uh we had the fastest bike there for sure and and we turned on four wind lights and made a count on Sunday.
0: It was uh, it was interesting because I had to dive back into the into the record books after the race to look, and I thought it was the first time you had gone 200 miles an hour four times on the same day on a Sunday. And it turns out I was right. Do you remember the first round in the, the first round in Pomona in 18? You actually went 111 <laughs> miles an hour. I thought you did it then too.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> Angel reminded me of that. That that's when the airline blew off the, uh, air- when I ran her.
0: Yes. So, uh,
2: that's, uh, I think every run after that we went 200, but we never put four of them together on Sunday. So that was, uh, a pretty neat deal for us to do that
0: it was and uh, you you qualified at 201 at that race and then three out of the four on Sunday you were 200 and and I had said it on the broadcast and I was thinking to myself oh man I hope I didn't just step in it so I went back and looked I said oh man by my own luck I saved myself but listen and this was done on a Sunday that really didn't have a lot of help I mean mother nature wasn't blowing you down the racetrack
2: no uh you know the weather was pretty good but the track was really marginable uh for for our combination I mean I had to watch because if we got off the line, if, if we tried to get after it in 60 foot, sometimes it would hold it and then sometimes it would blow the tire off. So I really went up with a conservative approach to just go down the track and, you know, I don't think anybody can touch us from the eighth mile to the finish line. If we're dead even at the eighth mile, I feel like I'm going to come out on top uh, when we cross that, the the finish line. But uh, you still have to get off that line pretty decent to be able to be, you know, equal or right there with somebody at the eighth mile. And uh, we did that, you know, four times.
0: Yeah, Warren Johnson was a guy that won the Gator Nationals uh, nine times, and that was his philosophy too. I think, <laughs> WJ, if, if WJ had a, had you by the door handle at the eighth mile, it was all over. <laughs> yep. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about that. I mean, through qualifying and eliminations, we did hear you say exactly what you said that the bike wasn't really front halfing as well as you would have wanted it. Um, have you made any sort of chassis changes or anything over the over the off season that uh, that you were working on, or is this something simply because we're talking about a hundred and twenty degree racetrack that we were hustling a lot of cars down?
2: Yeah, I, I think it was strictly that. It was the hundred and twenty degree racetrack, and um, you know we we have to carry six hundred forty pounds of weight. Yeah. And the Suzuki bikes. I mean, if you look at the numbers that Angel was putting up, um, she could go out there and go one hundred three, one hundred four. Um, uh, when they get to weigh 610 pounds, I mean, they get to m- attack it a lot different than 30, 30 more pounds that we have to carry. And, and on top of that, it was just, we couldn't get after that hard or we just simply just, just sit and spin, you know? So, um, we had to kind of ease it off through there and we made that work, but, um, it probably would have been a different story if we would have maybe had to run her in the finals, um, you know, because they could have got after it and we couldn't, but all in all, it worked out. We took the win lights and uh, got the first race win of the year.
0: You know, coming off a championship season uh, like you did last year, obviously, and, and really it's no big surprise. I think, you know, you pretty much get everybody's best shot anytime they line up next to you. But uh, was that even more evident uh, coming into this season, kind of knowing people have had all this time, literally... I think people are actually building bikes at this point to try to beat you when we look at what uh, Corey Reed and Joey Gladstone have done coming out with their combinations and, of course, the bike on Shell's on. Um, is it a good feeling or does it give you a pit in your stomach knowing that uh, knowing that really people are putting a lot of effort in to try to beat Matt Smith? You know, it's it's kind of
2: – I think it boils down to the point that we knew the Suzuki's were going to be fast, um, and they're going to be quick and fast, all right? And they already showed at the first race with only three months of development on that motor that if you took Angel's front half numbers from Q1, she went 429 to the eighth. And a V-Twin has never been that fast in the eighth. And then you take her Q2 pass of when she went 241 down the back half. If you put both those together, she would have won a 670. Yikes. So um, that's under the national record. First time out with their brand new motorcycle that they just showed up Monday before Gainesville of running. So I I really see NHRA doing something. I know they're it doesn't look like they're gonna do anything before the next race because A one I won the race and they didn't. But I think that they're gonna end up having to put some weight on those bikes to, you know, or they're just gonna be leap years ahead of all the V twins that have been out there for, for years. Yes, Suzuki's definitely need a help, but I don't know if they needed that much help to get a new motor and new fuel all at the same time.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think what's interesting to your point is, it, you know, we look even the Pro Mod classes is looking that way too. We saw the Pro Charger cars go out there and just annihilate national records left, right, and center in, in conditions that, again, these were not the la-la-land conditions that we occasionally see over the course of a season. These were warm days. So I think, to your point, uh, I think those two categories, you, Pro Stock Motorcycle and, uh, and the Pro Modified category, will to some degree be uh, having lead trophies awarded to some of the uh, competitors in the not-too-distant future. Yeah,
2: they, uh, I think the Pro charges they already they already hit them with a 20-point, I think, gear reduction. Yep. Uh, it come out on Thursday or Friday. Um, and I was really hoping to see, you know, that NHRA was going to put weight on the Suzuki's, but that didn't come out, so I don't think they're going to at this point. Um, but uh, I, I do see it in the near future that they get, you know, they probably need 15 pounds, maybe 20 pounds on them right now. And I still think that they're going to be a handful. You know, you give them a couple races with that weight, um, they're going to be a handful anyway at the end of the year. But, uh you know, it's just not on jail. You know, Corey and Joey has oh, sure. got the same bikes. Um, Jerry's going to debut his new Hayabusa uh, with that motor combination of Vegas. So it's not like you're, they're bringing one bike out with that combination. There's already four, and it sounds like there's going to be five or six of them. And if you take six bikes, even if I've got the best V-twin out there, next thing you know, I'm seventh eighth, and, you know, it just like it's all of a sudden it's just a big turn, you yeah. know, so it's not that we've lost power. It's just that they gave them too much, I think, is what the 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 big deal is.
0: And, you know, I, I think from a, you know, from a fan perspective or from a, you know, kind of an invested fan perspective of my job, the controversies like this. Brewing controversies like this are, I think, always good for a class. And I know, I know, you got to chug the Malox, and it keeps you up at night. But from the fan engagement side of things, people want someone to root for. People want a side to take, and this is one of those things that people are definitely going to take a side on. You're going to have your dedicated V-twin fans that are that are in the Matt Smith corner, going, "You got to hang a bunch of weight on these guys." You're going to have the Suzuki fans saying, "No, no, no, everything's fine. Don't touch it." And then ultimately, when a decision gets made, everyone gets to kind of say their piece. And I know it makes some people uncomfortable, but honestly, I love it because anything that gets people talking. About whether it's pro stock motorcycle or anything else, I think is good for the sport.
2: Yeah, and I agree. You know, my biggest thing is I just want to see, you know, pretty close equal racing. You know, I yeah. mean, I, it's it's hard for their job to to do everything correctly, and you know, if they if they slow somebody down too much, okay, well then a race or two letter, give them give them a little something back. But you know, it comes down to the point. In my opinion, if you're working hard. And everybody knows that we work hard on our program because that's why we have the best B-Twins out there. And when it's all said and done, you know, Suzuki should be able to compete. The best team should be able to be within a couple hundreds of each other. And as long as you have the best B-Twin and the best Suzuki Motors uh, team out there and they're within a couple hundred, say it's game on. Yeah, absolutely. But you just can't, you can't have somebody dominate six, seven, eight hundred um, and expect, you know, the other, other brand to make that up. You know, you just, that's, that's why there's parity, and that's why you want parity in the class. Cause I want it to be come down to a, a driver and a tuner's race on Sunday, not just because somebody's got a big role
0: event. Oh, for sure. That's what keeps people in the stands. And, you know, you talk about a, a rider tuner race. Let's talk a little bit about Scotty Polichek, man. This guy, he had some swagger on Sunday. And, and you know, Scotty's a great guy and uh of course he dialed up that 002 light against Angelin and, and took her out in eliminations and you know to see Scotty wins the US Nationals last year and not to say he wasn't a great rider before that, but I really feel like winning that race just completely changed the guy's outlook.
2: Yeah, you know, Scotty raced for us for a couple years, you know, I think it was six years ago. And then he went over to Underdogs and raced for a couple years, and now he's come back. And it's like he's gone different places and gone to the finals and just never could break through. And finally, to get him to break through and, and to do that, it took a year with him on our team to get him back to riding a V twin. Gotcha. And for him to come back and, and, and show up last year and ride like he did was great. You know, um, it, it just makes our team stronger. And, you know, with, with Scotty winning the race and, and then Angie winning the last race of the year, I mean, it just shows how much how hard we've worked on our team to, A, one, to get, you know, more than one or two motors of equal out there and and to make the bikes all competitive. And then when all the riders show up, it's just really fun to have good quality bikes come out of your camp and uh, knowing that people know that every race, one of these bikes could win the race.
0: Yeah, and it's great. And, and you mentioned Angie and, of course, her win in Vegas last year to close the season was was totally spectacular. She rode very well this weekend. And I guess I want to ask you, you know, how much uh, how much of the, you know, home dyno, which we've talked about before, but, you know, you knew it was going to be very impactful for your program. You knew it was going to be a big deal now that you've had it for enough time. You've had it for a full off season. Did you underestimate how important it would be? Or is it is it actually what you thought it was going to be in terms of developing engines?
2: No, the 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 engine dyno has been uh, the biggest factor in our program over the last two or three years. Um, uh, I, mean, I guess basically you can just say we got it last year, but for the majority, we worked on all winter long. We didn't work on trying to find power. All right, we took the parts and pieces because we won four of the eight races last year. Yeah, and I feel like we should, as a team, we should have won seven of the eight races. All right, hands down, if we wouldn't have had the stupid failures of my bike. From Scotty's bike to Angie's bike, we should have won seven of eight races. So, all we focused on all winter was every part that we broke, whether it was internal motor or electronics or, or parts and pieces. We worked on developing new parts, better parts, and that's what we did this winter. We worked on reliability stuff. And, you know, it kind of sucks because I say that, and then the very first pass of the year, I had a brake rotor explode and <laughs> go in a sand trap. Yeah,
0: that it was, was like, wild, really? man. That was wild.
2: We, we didn't look at brake systems. We worked on just fine reliability parts, you know, of our motorcycles that we broke last year. So um, it looks like we got a kind of a pretty good handle on that stuff. And hopefully, you know, now that we've got the reliability issues fixed uh, with the, the motors and that we were breaking little parts, and, and some of them were $1 parts, some were $200 parts. Nothing major, major, but it was just a simple fact of getting stuff made And during this time of COVID, it's hard to get stuff made right now. And so that's kind of what we focus on, and we got that done. And I think we'll be very successful this year with
0: uh, how we run our team let's talk a little bit about that first run, because uh, it's always interesting, interesting to me to get in kind of a rider or driver's head when, you know, when clearly all of a sudden we got a problem down here in the shutdown area. Kind of walk me through your check down process when when the brake rotor failed, you know you're not going to get the thing stopped, but what do you have to do to prevent this from being any worse than it's going to be and kind of talk me through the, the whole process?
2: Well, uh, you know, I've only been in the sand one other time, and that was at Las Vegas when we, when we debuted a brand new bike. And the third pass um, of building it, we just didn't check all the bolts and pieces and all that, and the brake pads were actually laying on the start line when I left the line. Oh, my God. And and uh, <laughs> knew they was in trouble at that point. So, you know, that's – you live and learn, and we check all of our stuff, you know, before every race. We check be sure Everything's tight, and we got good stuff. And But we just come from a test session in Bradenton where I, the last pass on the bike, I went 677 at 200.83. And everything was perfect. And, you know, I don't think anything about tricking anything, really, because everything's good. Obviously, that run cracked a rotor or something, because when I went through the finish line and grabbed the brakes, all I felt, it went all the way to the handlebars. The next thing you know, I see little pieces flying off the left side of the bike. Oh, man. And I and I go and I pump the brake again, and I'm thinking the first thing, I'm like, oh, fuck, they went a Zeus or something, <laughs> you know, off the bike. And next thing you know, I hit the brakes again. There's nothing there. So then I start to panic. I'm like, all right, now we don't have any brakes. That was brake parts flying off. So then I put my right foot down on the ground and start scrubbing speed. I've got the clutch out, you know, to keep it decelling, you know, just like a a trucker does with desailing coming down the road. And I'm pumping, my left foot's pumping the rear brake. Well, the rear brake on these things don't do anything. I mean, yeah, they'll slow you down or help you, but they're not going to stop you from a 200-mile-an-hour run. By no means and at that point i'm pumping 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 well it slowed me down but i knew about six seven hundred feet before the finish for the sand trap i'm like i'm not gonna stop i'm not i'm going in the sand so at a hundred foot before the stand saying i pull the clutch in i cut the kill switch off the, the ignition switch off and i stiff on the bike as hard as i can at the handlebars i just lock my elbows and lock everything and i said look don't lay this thing down because then all that stuff from going to motor. Yeah. And then we're going to tear something up. If I keep it upright, I'm not going to tear up stuff with maybe the belly pan. And, uh, you know, I can I can fix the belly pan, but I can't fix a side of the bike for aerodynamics uh, and tear something up bad. And I kept it upright. We went a long ways in that sand trap. We went almost to the net. We was 15 foot from the net. But the only thing that really hurt was the front wheel and the front brake system. And, you know, luckily, you know, I kept it upright. The motor was fine. We ran the same motor. Uh, everything was good. So, Joey Glassstone come over uh, and offered me, you know, they have the Beal stuff sitting on top of the trailer. And he goes, hey, he says, I got, uh, we got our spare bike up there. You know, if, if you need the front wheel and the brake system, we'll be glad to give it to you. And I said, sure. So, uh, I roll over there and I go get, get all that. And I built their whole assembly. We don't, I take the, I take the front wheel off their bike, the, the rotors, the calibers, the hangers, and the master cylinder off the front handlebar and put it right on my bike. And it goes right up there and goes 200 mile an hour five times in a row and in a race with it.
0: Man, that's awesome. That's a, it's a cool story. I mean, it must just want to throw you over the handlebars when you get into the sand, right? I mean, what is the, does the thing just, just want to just throw you over the front of it? I mean, what does that feel like?
2: Yeah, a lot of times when you hit the sand, uh, it'll pitch you one way or the other. And then next thing you know, you come off the bike, you know, and and you lay it down sideways and then you tear up the side of the motorcycle and it it just, it's a big mess. So it was really important to me to lock my elbows and try to keep this thing upright as hard as I could. Um, And by the race pack, when I hit the sand trap, we were running 78 mile an hour when I hit the sand. So it was a a handful to stop, (laughs) but luckily I got it desailed enough and wore some shoes out uh my alpine stars uh was pretty amazing because i did it it was when i went back and looked at the video i had smoke rolling off my shoes on each side yeah but it but it didn't wear all the way through so i was really really proud of those uh those alpine star shoes that they didn't go all the way through
0: man that's something else. Yeah, that's, um, it's, it, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, a professional rider like yourself, you're able to have this process in your mind where you're able to, you know, kind of see ahead of time, okay, here's what I got to do. Here's my best shot at doing it. And able to pull it off like that is, uh, is really amazing. Cause if it was me, it would just be a guy screaming in a helmet. God only knows what would have happened after that, man. Um, really, really good win for your team, uh, at Gainesville. Thanks for taking the time to uh, catch up with us a little bit. And, uh, Good luck for the rest of the season. Not sure you're going to need luck, but uh, good luck, man. And they're all coming for you, and you know it. But uh, you seem to have a, a competitive piece out there that you're not going to give an inch to
2: them. Yeah, no, we uh we definitely have uh, some good stuff, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can continue to do that. And this, this Denzo you know, motorcycle is pretty awesome. And uh, I got to have a shout out today, uh, our sponsor. It's yeah. her birthday today, uh, Lisa. Uh, happy birthday, and uh, we hope to see you in Vegas You know, when we when we show up there.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, Lisa has uh, been a huge driving force in Denzel's involvement in the NHRA, and certainly it's the Denzel Sparkplugs four wide nationals we're heading to. So you got to perform for her, man. Now it's going to be a birthday present for
2: her. Yeah, we're, we're going to do our best. Between me and Angie and Scotty, you know, one of us is going to try to win, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do.
0: Matt Smith, thanks so much for taking the time. Congrats on Gainesville, and I will see you in Vegas. All right. Thanks, Brian. Matt Smith, always a guy who was geared up for competition, a very intense competitor and certainly uh, personifies the hard work of any professional level drag racer out there. The dude, I don't think he sleeps, he eats and sleeps and breathes Pro Stock Motorcycle along with his wife Angie and his team riders, including Scotty Polichek. So a great show. We met the Smiths, Todd Smith and Matt Smith. No relation, of course, but uh, great to have those two guys on there, one from the championship rider perspective, the other from the championship crew chief perspective. And uh, interesting to hear not the thought process of a crew chief coming into a new season, interesting to hear the thought process of a rider when things go wrong at the top end and you lose the brakes. Wild stuff. Thanks for listening to this episode of the end. NHRA insider podcast I'll be back again next week as we inch our way towards Vegas and we continue to build momentum this season of the NHRA camping world drag racing series more surprises more fun and more interviews next week here on the NHRA insider podcast with Brian loans thanks for listening